Would you turn your Bibles to Romans 8? Romans 8, and we'll read verses 1 through 4. That's found on page 1,200 of your pew Bibles. As well as Lord's Day 15 in your Forms and Prayers book. That's page 216. 216 in your Forms and Prayers book. This text from Romans 8 is one that does not describe the the suffering, per se, of Christ and what he endured. And I would have us keep in mind the suffering of Christ that he bore on the cross, the the stories of his crucifixion. We're not going to read those this evening, but have those present in your minds. His trial, his death, his being crucified for us. But from Romans 8, what we will read is what he gained for us in his suffering. Before we read, let's pray. Lord God, speak to us now, and indeed we know when we read your word, these are the words of God. You speak. And yet, let us hear. Open our hearts, open our minds, and may we be struck, impressed by, and ready to glorify you for the knowledge of what you've done and the suffering that you bore for us. We pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in this. Amen. Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And that's as far as we're going to read there, that that focusing that section on what Christ has done in his suffering. And now we read to turn to Lord's Day 15. This is a summary of God's Word, what we believe God's Word truly and rightly teaches. God's Word is our basis and authority, and yet this gives expression to what God's Word teaches. Question and answer 37. What do you understand by the word suffered? That during his whole life on earth, but especially at the end, Christ sustained in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. This he did in order that, by his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, he might deliver us, body and soul, from eternal condemnation and gain for us God's grace, righteousness, and eternal life. Why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? So that he, though innocent, might be condemned by an earthly judge and so free us from the severe judgment of God that was to fall on us. Is it significant that he was crucified instead of dying some other way? Yes, by his death I am convinced that he shouldered the curse which lay on me since death by crucifixion was cursed by God. People of God, as we seek to understand the suffering of Christ, we seek to understand what is at the heart of Christianity, what is at the heart of the gospel. Everything that we gain was purchased through suffering and obedience. Everything that we gain was purchased through suffering and obedience. What we owed had to be suffered for. 
And what we are given in righteousness, meritorious righteousness, or righteousness credited to us, was by obedience. And yet it is not our suffering, nor our obedience, by which we receive these things, but Christ's. We're very used to talking about Christ's suffering. So much so, that I think we fail to, to see the, the interest, the mystery, and that when God would come to earth, how would his life most clearly be characterized? You know, far different from the idea of, like, Greek gods or demigods in false mythologies who were more powerful, were stronger, were able to accomplish more than other men, were better than, succeeded. It's not like that. When God truly came to earth, what is he known most well for? Suffering, death, trial. The God of life, who has all power, all authority, didn't come to this earth and be known by judgment, and wasn't even known or, or characterized by power, even when he did perform miraculous acts, that for a brief second peeled back a curtain, showed his power, no, for the majority of his life, it was a flesh that was veiled, it was a flesh that was weak, and a flesh that suffered. That's how Jesus was known. A man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, a lamb that from its earliest days, from birth itself, had been kept to the side, because that would be sacrificed. A lamb that lived to die. A lamb that lived to, sh lived to shed blood. This is what we talk about in the suffering of Jesus. That's the gospel. All for our sakes. And the sorrow that he bear, bore, the grief that he endured, even, and it's, it's in God's providence that we read Psalm 38, a wonderful description of what you can experience and go through as a man, and yet to not even realize that that doesn't even come close to characterizing the suffering that Christ endured. Who needed to be God to even bear that weight. Who needed to be God to bear such suffering for the sake of a people who didn't deserve it. For the sake of a people like us, who place our faith in him, not even out of our own strength, but as a gift. He suffered for such wretches as we are. Such worms as, as we are, he came and he suffered and died for. And so we continue in the catechism, professing our faith, and we come to hear what is, what is the, the humiliation of Christ. And yet something very near and dear to us, something so beautiful. Can God's heart be expressed more than in his suffering? You know, the answer is no. And how do we know that? Why did he ordain the fall? Why did he ordain that to happen? Well, it was because through this, through coming to earth and suffering, he could show love that we would never have known or understood. So deep, so wondrous. And that's why we confess this in the Apostles' Creed, boys and girls. That's why this is not insignificant. That we confess that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, that he was crucified, 
These words we profess in the Apostles' Creed, they, they hold the Gospel before us. They're the truth on which you hang your life. And so we profess them, and in fact, we die for them. Even when these are under attack, and they are, they are under attack daily. Christ didn't suffer. Christ didn't die. God can't come to earth. He didn't save you of your sins. But we confess that he did come, and he did suffer, and he was crucified, and it was under Pontius Pilate. And we'll unwrap that all as we look at what did Jesus suffer? What Jesus suffered? As we continue and delve into this, we are confessing the life of Christ. And you see in the Catechism, you confess the beginning in the conception of Christ. And and yes, in the Creed, we skip his life and go right to his death. And that's not to do a disservice to, to his life on earth. That's not to do a disservice to what he did in those 30 odd years in between. That was necessary, that was significant, and the Catechism briefly references that, that it was during his whole life that he bore this suffering. But why do we confess and and only actually talk about the end of his life? Well, because that was the culmination of his life. And to talk about the suffering and death of Christ on the cross applies to all of it. And to most clearly describe the whole purpose for his coming is to deal with the end, the goal. If you are, were to number all of the chapters in the Gospels, all of them, a third, one-third, would deal with the last week of Jesus' life. Even God's Word and, and the amount we have revealed to us on it shows that of extreme and supreme importance was this ending week of what he suffered and what he endured and the suffering which he had done through his life would reach that end point and find itself the the greatest expression of it and the greatest trial to be endured. And so we confess that. Catechism asks, what do you understand by that word suffered? That during his whole life on earth, but especially at the end. This is important. This is important to to our faith. And Jesus shows us that in Luke 24, in the road to Emmaus. I'm going to read two passages that show how clearly important it was that the church, that we as believers grasp the truth that the Son of Man came to suffer and die. Luke 24, verses 25 and 27, Jesus speaking to his disciples on that road. He says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What a sermon. There's many who, virtually anyone who comments on this text on Luke 24 would say, what would it have been to walk that road and to hear Christ go through the scriptures and explain how all of it revealed that it would be him to come, but not just that he would, but that the manner in which he come would be suffering. This happens in Luke 24, 44 and following as well, where he says to more disciples, or to, to those disciples, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus, our resurrected Lord, coming to his disciples, wants to be clear and, and, and his disciples to know that the scriptures taught something. And what was it? That the Son of Man would suffer. Why is that important? Because there was all these under, misunderstood conceptions of what the Son of Man would do. He'd come in and he'd reign and he'd come and set a kingdom. He'd come and conquer. But what Jesus is showing from all of Scripture is that's not the case. In fact, it was demanded by the Word of God that the Messiah die, that the Messiah suffer. And he shows to them through it all, through all of God's revelation, that this is what our very forgiveness hangs on. The purpose for which he came to suffer and die, to be in that state of humiliation, to bear wrath. The way of obedience for Jesus was the suffering of cross-bearing. And when we consider Christ's suffering, we are seeing the penalty of our sin. Catechism helpfully says that it was during his whole life, and, and that's very significant. Why? Because it wasn't just that ending week. Understanding Jesus' state of humiliation, understanding that he bore this his whole life, helps us to see that whole picture. Christ's life takes on unique significance, an unparalleled expression of surpassing value that it was every day. He suffered. Every day was a suffering of hell that made that much more acute and final in his last days. It wasn't as if Jesus just came to this earth and lived this life and then it didn't really matter until the end. How much love does he display towards his people that he come to live an entire life of suffering? one that would merit for us eternal life, one in which God would accept as bearing his wrath against all people. Jesus, as the Son of God, was far distinct from us, holy and set apart in the heavens, the furthest thing from the, the, the worms that we are, and yet he chose through God's will and his plan to fellowship with us and not just us, to fellowship with our sin. What do, what do I mean by that? To take it. To take our sin on himself. To fellowship with us, his people, meant he had to go down into the mire, go down to the lowest depths, why did Jesus need to undergo a state of humiliation? Because we were so humiliated. Because that, that was our state, that was our existence. And Christ came down for that. And he fellowshiped with us in a natural sense. He put on our very nature, and as Philippians chapter 2 describes that, that was him emptying himself, which wasn't a loss of his deity, but was an assumption of our weakness and our weak flesh. And though without sin, he took on our frame and he bore the wrath of God. 
He took on a and fellowship with us in a natural sense. He also fellowshiped with us in a legal sense, in a moral sense, taking our sin on his own shoulders. And he stands in our place. And he has become so united to us that it was we who were on the cross. We're forgiven because of that. How far removed Christ was to come down to such Suffering and the real essence of his suffering wasn't simply the pain and the torture and the agony that we know. It was made that much worse because he bore the weight of sin and he bore the, the, for, the being forsaken by his Father. And he who was fully holy and knew no sin had to so fellowship with us that the sin was all over him and that he had to take every single sin that was ours. And we don't need to be so clean or so, or so separated from that as if we could just generally think of this lump of sins that he bore. It is the very sins that we do right now. It's the very sins we've committed this past week. The decisions we've made to rebel from God, that's what he bore. The very sins of our heart. Everyone, you could put it this way, somewhat poetically saying it, every one of his drops of blood and beads of sweat had one of our sins attached to it. He was suffering that because we did this. Sinful in Adam, guilty from original sin, and contributing to that pile of sin throughout the process of our lives. And even still, the sins we commit now, he bear, he bore, the suffering of Christ. It's amazing. Catechism answers in the question, what exactly did he suffer? It gives an answer that's unpopular today. Christ sustained in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. Most don't like that. Most, most will walk back from that and say, how could God be so unloving? How could he have so much wrath they want to say that he, this type of God who would have wrath, is a vindictive, narcissistic child abuser. And that's interesting. Because those who know him, his people, say this makes him a faithful hero, loving and just, a savior and father, the likes of which could never be known. And why is that? Because the son who came to suffer was not an infant who had no choice, who was not forced against his will, knowing full well that he would take on all of our sins, all of your sins, and he knew you personally, having predestined you, he chose to do it. That's why the suffering and humiliation of Christ is perhaps the most beautiful thing we could ever see. What's more beautiful than a husband laying down his life for his, his wife or his family? It's lamentable. It's sad. It's beautiful. What's more beautiful than the love of God to bear the wrath of God and to suffer in such depths? How can opponents say this of God, our God and make our God sound like a narcissistic, vindictive child abuser? 
when this is what he bore. And this was the plan between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit before all time, that this is what they would do. Bring about redemption of a people fallen and unworthy. So what did Jesus suffer? He suffered the wrath of God throughout all his life and especially at the end. And he bore that for us. All for a purpose. And that's what we get from Romans 8. That's why we read it. This is what's undergirding these words. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, and I'm going to pause there, what does that mean? What By the law is another way of saying what you could do. In law-keeping, God has done what you couldn't do in law-keeping. That's the weakness of the law. The weakness of the law is not that it isn't righteous or holy. It's that it can't save. And that the only, the only gospel the law offers is you better keep this or you're crushed. But no, God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What great truth. That is the what of what Jesus suffered, but why? Why did Jesus suffer? The Catechism says... This he did in order that by his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, he might deliver us body and soul from eternal condemnation and gain for us God's grace, righteousness, and eternal life. The suffering of Jesus is sweet. And it's beautiful for what he gains. You see this continued on, and, and it gets further, further depths in question and answers 38 and 39. It gets at the richness of it. Why, why do we confess Pontius Pilate in our creed? In historical figures, and there are some of him, he was a relatively minor figure, very poor at his job. He wasn't even in office long. And yet he lives on in the professions of our faiths and in the creeds that we recite. Why? Why do we name him? So that he, as a legal filier, could do two things. Declare Jesus righteous and innocent, and still condemn him. And isn't that the gospel right there? An innocent man, a righteous one, judged. Pilate serves then as the perp- for, to, to present the very gospel itself in what he did. Think of that. How often in those accounts that the gospels give did Pilate say to the people, I find no fault with this man. He's innocent. He wanted to release Jesus, this sinful man. And that doesn't doesn't take him off the hook because he was also the one then to condemn him and show that the innocent one suffered by the authorities of the earth. And as the Catechism describes, that he might be condemned by an earthly judge and so free us from the severe judgment of God that was to fall on us. That, that judgment, oddly enough, the judgment that this wicked magistrate passed was one that mirrored the judgment of God. Innocent, 
yet guilty. And that's the what Pontius Pilate shows, bearing it all for us. And then question and answer 39 goes even a bit further. Why is crucifixion significant? There are so many ways to kill someone. Why did God ordain that it would be this way? Apart from the fact that many say it is among the most excruciating ways to die, we have biblical warrant to reveal to us this truth, a, tr- a truth that actually is sh- is, it makes us shudder to make unmistakably clear to us that this one was a cursed man. Deuteronomy 21, 22 and following, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him in the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Way back in Deuteronomy, the Lord gave a command that would apply to his son. And the application was that he was so cursed that they better get him off the cross quickly enough lest he defile their land. That's what a cursed, crucified death hanging on a tree was. And that's why God made it a curse to give to us with, with no, no murkiness in, this, in the way that Jesus was cursed for his people. Jesus died by crucifixion so that it would be clear to all that he suffered a doomed punishment, that he became the curse for us. And why? Why, why that? Question and answer 37 had said, This he did in order that by his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, he might deliver us. And later in the Catechism, it talks about how this suffering convinces me that he shouldered the curse which lay on me. Not only was the suffering of Christ so that he could appease God's wrath, But its revelation to us and its clarity and all that happened was for us to see without any doubt, to be totally convinced that, yes, God really did deal with our sins. Look no further than Jesus Christ, the one who was cursed, the one who was crucified, the one who was humiliated, the one who suffered. And and, and brothers and sisters, we need to believe that. How many of us here are still struggling to be convinced that Jesus did bear that curse. That it doesn't remain on us. That there is no spot on his people. We need to be convinced, and so we see the depths and we say, how could there remain in God any more wrath to give? And the answer is there isn't. Kevin DeYoung, in his commentary, gives some helpful comments about this, that we believe that God delivered us. And should we say Christ died so that sinners might come to him? Or Christ died for sinners, and there's a big difference. Did he do all of this so salvation could be possible as long as we choose him? Or did he suffer and, and pay it for his people? And the answer is, he paid it for his people. Imagine there's a shipwreck, and those in the ship are all in the waters, 
They're unconscious. They're floating around in the waters. And the, the, the rescue boat comes. The Coast Guard comes. And, and here it approaches. And, and then one throws a rope over the side and says, I really hope they'll climb up that. What hope does that bring? Is that an adequate picture of what Christ has done? He made it possible? Just grab the rope, just climb up? Or, in the same illustration, did, did one jump into the waters and swim to you and take you and bring you onto the ship and save you and give you new life? And even in the process that he swam by others to get to you? Passed others by? What love? We always look at that and we think, how could he? How could he pass by? How could he not save all? No doubt there are mysteries there, but in the good will of God, it declares to us by passing by some and saving you, those who believe, the clarity of his love is unmistakable. The exclusivity of his love is there. And we can feel, and in one sense, rightly proud of that, that, that he saved me. He passed by others to save me. And that's, that's not, though, the pride that thinks that we had something valuable, which begs the question, why? Why did he suffer for us? For his good pleasure, so it wasn't anything in us. But he did know you, and he did select you. What a sad picture of making the atonement of God and what he suffered just the possibility. There you go. I've done my part, you do yours. No. Fully saving us. Jesus suffered for you, not for the hope of you. Jesus suffered for you, not for the hope of you. This is why the profession Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate and was crucified means so much. Brothers and sisters, we suffer. We haven't suffered wrath. And in Christ, those who have faith in him never will. You'll never know what the wrath of God feels like. Only those in hell will. You know, it's astonishing. Even the worst sinner in hell does not know the full extent of eternal wrath. But God does. Christ does. The only one who's ever suffered hell to its totality as to break hell open and save those who, were, who would have been in it is Jesus Christ, the King of Heaven. There's no one in hell who knows sorrow, who has suffered the wrath of God like Christ. And does this not convince you that he has fully shouldered the curse which lay on you? Christ's state of humiliation can't be achieved by anyone else. No love can be deeper than the love God shows to us and what he bore. Let us see this truth and be convinced 
and know that Christ loves you, loves you in faith more than you could ever know, more than you can ever imagine, something you will never lose, a weight of sin you will never bear. That is why Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate and why he was crucified. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we meditate on what you suffered. And it's made all the more dear and rich when we know that it was something that was suffered on our account. A sinful mass we put on your shoulders. All of our little pet sins, all the things that we have done, heaped upon you, and this is what led you to the cross. Guilt in our father Adam, guilt in our own actions. And yet to see this narrative flipped, turned on its head, to what comes out of humiliation and suffering is life and love. Lord, be near to us and help us see and convince us that you fully shouldered the curse which lay on our shoulders. May we respond in faith, thanksgiving, praise, and a wholehearted life devoted to you. We thank you for what we could never have thought up of, uh, on ourselves. And we thank you for loving us for reasons we don't know. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.